Hey everybody, and welcome to Recess Tonight. Um, today, awesome topic. Um, sitting down with Alan to chat about it. We're talking about neuro, right, buddy? Yep. So, what do you think the two big uh, hitters today are going to be? Or th- three? Give me three big hitters. No, I'll give you two. First one is end tidal CO2 is your friend. Second one is GCS is not great. So, I like that I asked for three things and you give me two. That's cool. Way to listen to me. Um, let's start with our case, man. Who are we talking about? All right. Uh, let's give a, let's give us a little bit of context because, uh, Rob, you are a simpleton, simple minded, a, um, subarachnoid hemorrhage, likely from an AVM. Anyway, so he's non-operative and he's going, uh, to go up to your ICU, but you're, you're not there yet. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. 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 You're in that nebulous time where the patient's intubated, sitting in your ED. So, um, I like to talk a bit about how to get better at your neuro exams for the obtunded patients in the eMERGE. Cool. I like that. Um, how do you get better in day-to-day practice? Love it. Hit me, man. So at the end of the day, what you're looking to do is assess for areas of pressure within the cranial vault. So if you're curious about like how bleeds and herniations happen, there's actually a good image on uh, online if you just Google search it. And uh, it's called Tiny Tips for ICH. It basically shows a brain and, and how the brain can herniate. It's from our buddies at Canadium.org. Check is it, them out. Is it Canadium or Canadianium? I, I don't even know how to pronounce that. It would be Canadian without the A-N at the end. But in lieu, it would be E-M. Okay, that sounds perfect. So we'll we'll put that into the show notes so that people can take a look at that image. It's a really good one. You know, it's also 2019, Rob. People can probably spell it with two K's and a Z, and it's Google. It'll probably say Canadium.org anyway. Continue on. So this guy's got this. This guy's got this brain bleed. So uh, well, let's just talk about how to like uh, what your goals of assessing this patient is uh, in your merge. So you're essentially looking for uh, you're limited in your exam because they're obtunded. They can't talk to you. So you're looking uh, essentially at parts of the brain that are being compressed. So if you think about that as a simple concept, you can kind of get an idea of what's going on, if that makes any sense. So there's no silver bullet for a neuro exam in an obtended patient. You're essentially just looking at a trend and you're trying to look at, you know, it's not perfect what you're finding here, uh, but it's, it's all you really got at the end of the day. Okay, so so what are you trending though, man? Like when you when I hear you say that, it makes sense to me. But like, what are you actually trending? Right. The common one that most people will trend are pupils. I mean, yeah, pearl, pearl out, whatever. I don't. I can't remember any of those acronyms to be honest. Uh, you're essentially just trending the size and whether or not they react. Okay, so so there's one thing here though, and I heard you. I remember you batting your gums about it and turning my brain off to not listen to you. Was about the idea of a patient who's had rocaronium as their paralytic, and how that is going to affect their neuro exam. Because the typical thought out there is, oh, they're paralyzed. There goes the neuro exam. Uh, can't do a good one now. So that was a bit of a squirrel moment for you there. So I guess we can deviate to the paralytic. So if this guy is in your eMERGE and he's just been uh, paralyzed and intubated and then say it's 30 minutes after intubation and he was given rocuronium, chances are rock is probably going to last like 45 minutes to an hour or something to that effect anyway. So the question you're asking is, do you get pupillary response if you're rocked? The question is, yes, it's a different muscle group. It's a smooth muscle 
not skeletal, therefore you will still get reactivity. So if you're uh, paralyzed and you do not have pupillary response, whereas you did before, that could suggest that uh, that you've blown pupils or there's increased intracranial pressure pressing on the, the structure that's responsible for your pupils. So let me dial that back here for a second, Rob. Pupils, cranial nerves, uh, three-ish, and they essentially sit kind of at the back of the brain, if it, if it kind of makes any sense, like near the occiput. So when you have pressure on that area, your pupils will blow and fix, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah, yeah. So that's what you're looking at when you're trending pupils. Is, is there pressure on that part of the brain? Now, sometimes you may get the odd circumstance where one pupil was blown and then and fixed and the other one is normal. Uh, you have to take that into account. So if, if pre-CT scan, one pupil's blown, the other one's okay, and then after CT scan, it hasn't changed, it's probably because the pressure hasn't changed in that area. Now, however, if you pre-CT scan, one pupil is okay and the other isn't, and then you come out of the CT scan and both are blown, that's change. And that means there's more pressure on that area or it's pressing on a different part of that nerve. Now, to make it even more interesting, if you had really good nursing and medical care, you may actually get uh, both pupils responding again because you may have given them mannitol or hypertonic saline or something like that, which has relieved the pressure on that part of the brain. So you might get both pupillary responses back. Make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Um, tangent. So you are an ICU guy now primarily. Are you seeing mostly hypertonic saline or are you seeing mannitol used for increasing ICP? I'm spoiled. How's that? I'm called the prince for a reason. I work at a level one uh, quaternary referral center and it is a specialized neurocritical care center. So um, we have all the toys. So uh, in the intensive care unit where the neurocritical care lives, uh, we will use uh, hypertonic saline. Although my understanding of combing the literature is there's no real big differences with respect to mannitol or hypertonic, but the trend is moving more towards hypertonic because you don't get the hypovolemia associated with mannitol. Make sense? It does. And I asked you for a one word answer and you spoke for five minutes. That is because you see tangents and you go for them. And I wanted to uh, follow you on that one. Okay. So we talked about cranial nerves too. The other one that you can add to your, uh, your neuro exam in the eMERGE are cranial nerves 9 and 10. Super easy, especially if they're obtended, is do they have a cough and a gag reflex? To elicit the cough, put the suction catheter down there, hit the crina. If they cough, bingo, the reflex is intact. The other to test gag, grab a nice hard piece of a uh, of a yonker. Like <laughs> that kind of sounds. Oh, anyway, uh, take the yonker, put it back in the uh, into the back of the throat, right back into their throat, and cause them to gag. Voila! If they gag, the reflex is intact. If it's not, so you're essentially looking at pressure on cranial nerves nine and ten, and those live kind of in the brainstemish area. So you know that there's pressure on that area if they lose that reflex. So that's probably a that's probably a bad sign at that point because if you really think about it from a evolutionary perspective, uh, you need a cough, a gag, and the ability to protect your airway to live. So if you lose that, 
as probably badness. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And and so just just to confirm, we're advocating for testing of nine and ten cranial nerves in the airway protected patient. Yes. Yes, one that's intubated. Like this guy's intubated. Totally. Oh, sorry, I just got <laughs> I just got mail upstairs. Um. All right. So the key, though, Rob, is trending the guy. Trend what your findings are. Perfect. And so, so, so far, just so I can keep up to speed, we're trending pupils. We are trending cranial nerve responses uh, for 9 and 10. Uh, three is going to relate to our pupils. And then we're going to go from there. Um, so it's cough and gag or 9 to 10. Right, of course. Uh, so then you can do motor. So let me just make it clear here. The Glasgow Coma Scale has really poor inter-rated reliability. So my GCS of 13 is probably different than yours. Because mine's right and yours is wrong. My, Yours has probably gotten on the back of a cereal box. But if you get where I'm going here is people's GCSs will differ quite substantially, especially when it gets uh, worse. So how I like to describe it and how I like to communicate these findings is simply describe what you see. So instead of saying the GCS is... Uh, six and they have abnormal extension just describe what they do so if you go do a motor exam and you elicit pain and if they um so say their hand is on their sternum you give a fingernail uh, bed squeeze and the elbow straightens and the shoulder moves abducts from the body that is what you should be charting rather than oh it's abnormal abduction with extension with triple flexion etc etc it doesn't make because everybody's not going to understand it as well. So just have good integrated reliability. Side note, I work with this uh, great uh, neurosurge colleague. He actually found it kind of funny. He said, the only time we ever get GCS is when the patients get admitted. And then we're like, oh, okay, so his initial GCS is this. But then when they actually care for the patient along the way, they actually don't even talk about the GCS after that. They just describe what they see, which is kind of funny. Oh, it totally is. And, and if you think about that, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, describing what you see is going to be a better language between care departments, care providers, our physician colleagues, other nurses who are coming on, that kind of thing. And if you think about the idea of you know, GCS less than eight intubate, which holds zero water, right? I mean, not every eight needs to be intubated because interrelated reliability is poor and sometimes those folks can protect their airway. But GCS less than eight intubate is about as sexy as the precordial thump, right? Those are things that you just want to say and do. But precordial thump wins that every single time. Absolutely. Yeah. I always try to register uh, that email address every six months on Gmail. I'm pretty sure Chris Nix in, in uh, Australia actually has it. He's, he's precordial thump on Twitter. I'm waiting for it to expire. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So you're, so we talked about exam, right? Okay. Um, let's talk about what you can actually do to uh, care for the patient in your ED, the, in your recess room, right? Okay. This is when they're like not lined. They don't have an art line, stuff like that. Right. Cause this is not, I see this is a merge. So, um, so, so I'm going to give you uh, uh, five things, Rob, that I want you to take away to get better, okay, for trending and examining your patient. Number one, your labs. What you're looking at is sodium. Sodium is your friend. How does that make sense? Because it tastes good on all food. And in the brain, uh, it, what it helps is uh, more uh, the more hypertonic of, or sorry, the more hypernatremic you are, 
then the less, in theory, the less um, fluid would be in the actual tissues outside of the vascular space. So therefore, you would have less swelling. So think about it this way. You got a big brain that's swollen because of, extra, uh, because of CO2, blah, 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 blood, etc. You want to put, have, you want your patients a little bit saltier so that you're drawing the fluid out. Okay. Story yeah, checks it, out. The, yeah. What's number two? Number dos is um, PO2. Brains uh, like the oxygen. Um, so you can you can be a good boy and uh, you or good girl and use an ABG or uh, use your SpO2 and just keep them uh, oxygenated. Don't let them go hypoxic. That's badness for the brain. Okay, so that's number two. What's number three? Three is blood pressure. They don't like to be hypotensive. Uh, whether or not there's this whole thing about uh, autoregulation and it's difficult to describe. So just Google image autoregulation and you'll kind of get it uh, like a, an idea of it. But basically keep them hypo. Don't don't let them go hypotensive and don't let them rock hypertension. Essentially, you just kind of want them in this happy medium and, until you can determine other things down the road with invasive monitoring. But again, we're in the recess room. Totally. Okay, what's next? Four um, is... This is probably the easiest one you can do is head to bed. They want to be 30 degrees. Uh, Google uh, Dr. Mip Sakon and Dr. Grisdale, and they have some information on how head of bed can actually help reduce intracranial pressure. And they actually have like data on it, like this monitoring called PRX. And you can actually see how it affects um, uh, ICP just by having their head flat for just a minute, even for a turn. It's quite it changed my, my life very cool okay last one probably easiest one uh that you can do in your merge is end title co2 make it your friend make it your next tinder date be in love with it embrace the end title co2 so okay so you said that was one of the most important things you thought out of this entire talk so why is it important sell me sell me baby from a cellular level um and uh hypercarbia or increased co2 is essentially going to cause you to vasodilate if we know that the brain is having problems with autoregulation and then you're adding co2 on top of it it's going to get swollen plain and simple so you actually want that kind of normal ish um back in the day um you know you're kind of old so you'll probably remember this rob uh if someone was showing signs of herniation like blue both pupils you would actually like take them off the ventilator, put a bag on, and you would bag them pretty fast, like 30 rest of a minute to get to, to blow off the CO2 to make them hypocarbic. Um, so in the theory was that it just lets the brain tissue swell less. But uh, now it's 2019, Rob. Uh, we don't use a chisel and stone tablet. Um, so we can actually use entitled CO2. And you don't need a fancy schmancy one. You can have just like a little basic one that just like a portable one that you should be using for your procedural sedations. If you're not using entitled CO2, you should be. I think we should do an entire podcast about that because I think it's one of my passions in life. Well, no one wants to hear about your personal passions, but entitled CO2 is your friend. And if your shop is not using it, ask the question why. Better yet, if you are to transport and you're not using entitled CO2, I don't know what to say about that. Okay, let's get off our tangent okay. and get back on our topic. Um, so you're basically, you can attach it on, boom, you're looking for normal capnia. So, and it's the, the entitled CO2 range is the exact same as a gas, 35 to 45. Now, entitled CO2 does not necessarily 100% correlate with PCO2. 
Did you know that? I, I, I did not. I'm trying to get my, my small brain around that concept here. <laughs> Uh, well, basically, uh, what it what it does is it, it gives the the end title CO two is uh, say it's forty. What that mean? How you should interpret that is the PCO two. So the gas, the ABG uh, PCO two, should be at least forty or higher. So it could be forty, it could be forty two, or it could be sixty. Okay. So it's key. Okay. So with N-tidal CO2, you're just getting like an idea of what it's like. And the key is to use it in conjunction with the clinical picture. So if their if their N-tidal CO2 was rocking 40 for this guy in your recess room and suddenly it's starting to spike up to like oh, 45, that should clue you in and be like, ooh, are we missing something here? Um, that's when you can pull a, a VBG, which are about as equivalent at TABGs. Ooh, don't let ICU hear that. Okay. Joking. Uh, hey, if you're curious, um, there's something called cerebral microdialysis. You ever hear about that? No, I have no idea what that is. Uh, it's basically witchcraft. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm not an expert in it. Uh, and if, uh, if anyone's interested in hearing more about it, uh, let us know. Shoot us an email, tweet us, uh, and uh, I can get an expert on. But it's, it's, it's definitely witchcraft. Um, okay. Uh, you wanted to. You had a question about sedation, right? Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to know. Um, oddly enough, I wanted to know your your actual professional judgment on this. Um, how do you go about turning off or reducing sedation for the purposes of an exam? Like, how do you do it? What's your game plan going in with this? Do you just hammer it down to zero and see what happens? Do you slowly put it down? Tell me. Tell me your ways. Well, uh, that was a great question. Um, I think. So this is where there's that nebulous time when you're waiting to go upstairs, that type of thing. And um, what you want out of it is basically what are the goals for the patient? So you have to think about it in context. So if we're thinking about this guy that we gave you, subarachnoid, intubated, say the guy has not been seen by, so he has been seen by neurosurgery, sorry. He has been seen by neurosurgery and was determined not to be uh, an operative candidate. Um, so then the next question lays is, okay, if we're not going to operate on this guy and he's intubated, uh, what is our rascal? So how sedated do you want this guy to be? Do you want him sedated so his brain rests or do you actually want him to wake up? And the key is to ask the question and to have that properly documented in the chart. And the reason for that is that so everybody is on the same page. That's the key. So not all intubated patients need to be sedated. Not all heads need to be sedated. We have to factor in where your location is in the recess room. And I am a huge advocate for saying, know what is best for the patient and don't treat the patient because of the environmental factors that that are at hand. So an example is, if the if the department is busy and they need to be sedated, uh, sorry, and they and the order is not to sedate them. So the department is busy. You're in your three bed trauma room or what have you, and the patient has a rascal of zero. That means that that patient should not be there anymore. You know what's interesting about that is is in the emerge. I mean, we're talking about emerge a lot today. Is the idea of, you know, a rascal in an emerge, in my experience, is not that common, right? That's, that's super ICU-y, um, 
I'm not saying we shouldn't have those goals and we shouldn't have those conversations, but not often am I seeing that. I don't know if anyone out there is are getting RAS goals in, in their emerge. Maybe we should be advocating for them. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should have, do a talk about that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never, I've, I've not ever seen that personally. Likewise, I never saw it before, but we're here to get better. So are we, are we doing things to make the system better or for the patient? Because I, I, I think if our listeners want to listen to our uh, future or a future podcast on the, the, the legal side of nursing, uh, they're going to, the patient doesn't care if the department's busy. No, like, let's be frank, the patient doesn't care. So are we nursing the environment or are we nursing the patient? I, the, it, there's no right or wrong answer. And there's no, I'm, like, I'm just asking the question. If you guys knew the number of times a day I hear that from Alan, I'm just asking the question, which is prefaced by something when he's being a total shit. Uh, it's <laughs> It would blow your mind. Anyways, okay, so let's land this plane, buddy. What are your big, big takeaways that you want people to really understand out of this talk? Uh, end title CO2 is your friend because it's a reflection of what your uh, PCO2 is at least so if it's saying 40 it's that means your pco2 is at least 40 um, so if it starts climbing you need to ask the question what are we doing wrong the second one is uh describe what you see your gcs of eight is different than mine your gcs of nine is different than mine just describe what you see i mean triple flexion okay i challenge you to go out and ask five different people what their definition of triple flexion is. First of all, three out of the five are going to be like, what? The other two are going to be like, well, it's this when you do this, but not all the time, and it's sometimes like this. And then the other person's going to be like, well, I read it like this. So it's going to be a cluster... Show. It's it's a cluster show, exactly. Okay, perfect, buddy. Great. Those are awesome. Two perfect takeaways you can use tomorrow to make you better, uh, to be giving better patient care, because realistically, that's why we're doing this stuff, right? That's it's clearly not for the money. So what? There's no money in this. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, all right. So thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We really appreciate it. Um, we'll have some more pods to to follow in the in the coming weeks, um, and we hope you're uh, willing to spend some time with us to to work at getting better because the idea of staying how we are today because we've always done it that way doesn't work let's let's continue to get better thanks for tuning in thanks folks